Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey here without my co-host today, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. Christy's still in Norway soaking up that midnight sun. So today I'm really happy to bring back as my guest co-host for the next few shows from one of our most popular shows, I would say, Richard Brendan. Richard has had his own talk show for uh, about 15 years titled Bringing Love to Life. And you spent 14 years as a hospice chaplain, right? That's right. Oh, I've got to get into this. <laughs> so you're going to be talking to us today about the art, not the science, but the art of living and dying. So let's just jump right on in there. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, that evolved when I started hospice some time ago, which I never intended to go into hospice. I actually got a coaching certification in life purpose coaching back in 1997, but I'd been a pastor for quite a few years and stepped out of that. Uh, long story short, I was, I had four kids to provide for, um, just now starting a coaching practice. And I had a friend who was a nurse that called me out of the clear blue and said, uh, do you miss being a minister? I said, well, on some days I do. And and she said, well, would you be interested in being a chaplain for hospice? And I said, wow, well, tell me more. So she did. I went in. They hired me. Started off part-time, ended up full-time. So on and off through the years, it's now been 14 years that I've served as a hospice chaplain. And it was while doing that that I began to make a lot of observations uh, that hopefully will be a book. I'm slowly writing it. The, the working title is The Art of Living in the Light of Death. Um, but I used to give a lot of keynotes around the Midwest about maybe eight years ago, um, working on getting back into that. But one of my favorite talks, at the time I called it The Circle of Life, What the Dying Teach Us About Living, Okay. and ended up being my most popular keynote. People in Chicago, Michigan, they'd have me come back. They wanted to hear it. So over the years, I've wrote down more observations from the patients I've served. I've collected anecdotes and stories. Of course, a lot of people are writing books about that topic. Um, and I just find it fascinating. And so um, I've been grateful for the hospice experience because of that. So it's actually given you the catalyst to start this book, to start this whole journey, right? Well, it really has, because what I also learned over the years, for example, in Buddhism, there's a Buddhist meditation that causes you to focus on your own death. And as I started doing some of these practices over the years, I realized, just like the book Tuesdays with Maury mm. or Anita Morjani's book Dying to Me Me, there's so many stories about how to live more fully if we would only embrace our death. So one of the quotes I used to start off with when I did the keynotes was a beautiful quote from the poet Mary Oliver. And Mary said, When it's over, I want to say... All my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. And then I would always follow up with this. Love calls you to make death your constant companion because the awareness of death helps us heal old wounds, refines your purpose, and helps you lead a fearless and authentic life. And then I go into the various stories and things like that. But I found for me that by being in the present moment, by reminding myself, you know, playfully, lightly, every day, Richard, you could die today, something kicks into my brain and it helps me live more fully now instead of thinking too far down the road. It helps me appreciate the fact that 
for example, when I woke up this morning, I get my news on the internet, and I just watch usually headlines. Sometimes the news is so dark, I don't want to read too much about it. <laughs> but invariably, I'll see what's going on in Indianapolis, and then I'll check when I get home. And almost every day, I'll find someone was murdered or someone was killed in a car wreck. And then I stop. doesn't take very long for me to do this. I'll stop for a minute, and I'll think... Wow, now think about that person. They got up this morning just like I did. They had coffee probably just like I did. Maybe a little breakfast. Maybe kissed the wife or husband or partner or patted the dog's head and walked out. And they thought they had forever. And now I'm reading about them in an obituary online. So those kind of exercises has helped me over the years now to slow down, to refine my purpose... In other words, don't just say yes to every little opportunity that comes in. What am I really called to do? But also to be fully present with everybody that I meet. Because there's a reason why I'm meeting them. Even if you're just uh, checking groceries out at a Kroger grocery store. Mm -hmm. For that short time, that man or woman who's across from you, there could be a reason there. So it's really been a beautiful thing for me. And I've experienced living more fully now than I ever have before in my life. And I literally am having my own surrender experiment where I'm just letting life, or I would say God, bring in the opportunities, bring in the people. I'm not processing anything anymore. And it's been a wonderful, beautiful thing. But all of that happened out of this topic that we're talking about today. Well, I find it interesting because wouldn't being a hospice chaplain and keeping those little nuggets in mind when you think every morning, well, this could be my last day, like you said, playfully, mm-hmm. I think that that would remove a lot of, for lack of a better word, the pettiness of life out of the way. Yeah. Like you said, it gives you a much more fulfilling life. Yeah. So it, so that's, is that about the moment to moment, being in that moment? Is that what you're kind of referring to? Yeah, or? and I think death like nothing else um, helps us remind uh, reminds us what's most important. I had collected over a period of time a few quotes, but I want to share this one. It's from Michael Singer, who wrote a great book called The Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. He's been kind of a darling on Oprah's shows these days. He's now a 69-year-old long-haired hippie, <laughs> a billionaire who lives in a forest outside of Ocala, Florida. That's a whole story there. You can read about it in his last book, The Surrender Experiment. But he said this, It is truly a great cosmic paradox that one of the best teachers in all of life turns out to be death. No person or situation could ever teach you as much as death has to teach you. Learn to live as though you were facing death at all times, and you'll become bolder and more open. If you live life fully, you won't have any last wishes. And then, just because I happen to have this right here, this was a a famous quote from Steve Jobs, who was founder of Apple. As a lot of people know, maybe they don't know, that during his great success, um, also he founded Pixar when Apple fired him, and he went away and founded Pixar. Yeah, and then later went back and claimed his old job at Apple. Um, So very accomplished man. He almost died of cancer once and then survived that. But his famous commencement address at Stanford University, if you just YouTube that, you'll see it. That's where he talks about three things that were life-changing. One of them was embracing your death. Uh, Ironically, that he then ended up dying of cancer. 
uh, way too young. But here's a quote from him. He says, Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart. And so that's what I said earlier, that death, somehow embracing your death and embracing your own mortality does help you live more fully. And that actually kind of kicks you in the ass a little bit about Mm -hmm. what are you waiting for? You don't have forever. There is no promise of what you have. And so that's been the beauty of that. So observations I've made from patients and then other insights I've gleaned from people has just been literally life-changing for me. And is that where you come into the play of living instead of just existing? Because now you know that you only have a certain amount of time, finite, if you will, uh, according to the whole earth, you know? I've had a couple of hospice patients um, or spouses of hospice patients teach me more about love than any book on relationship I've ever read um, or any Oprah episode I've ever seen. I'm thinking of two people, but one I want to start off with is Mildred. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Mildred and her husband were both in a nursing home. They didn't have any kids. They were married for 70 years, so they were up there in age. They had each other. They adored one another. They had a great life. He was on hospice. She wasn't. He ended up passing away. Much later on, she ended up being on hospice too. But I was tracking her still as a hospice chaplain, wondering how she was doing. And I was heading a whole different direction. They were living in a nursing home in Greenwood. I was heading north. And all of a sudden, I got one of those intuitive hits that sometimes you guys probably talk about on this radio show. And I said, wow, I feel like I need to go back and check on Mildred. I was thinking maybe she's dying or something. Mm -hmm. So I go back there. That was back in the day when we had pagers. And um, I go in her room, and she's alive. She's sitting in her wheelchair. Her back's to me. She's looking out the window. Outside the window was a bird feeder, and she loved looking at the birds. So I thought, well, maybe she's just looking at the birds. So I walked in very quietly, and I said, Mildred. I didn't want to startle her. I said, this is uh, Reverend Richard. And she didn't say anything. When I got alongside her, And then leaned over and looked in her eyes. Her eyes were closed. I intuitively turned my pager off. I must have felt like, well, this is going to be really interesting. And I got down on one knee and put a hand on her right arm. And I said, Mildred, where are you? And she started to have some tears rolling down her face. And her eyes were still closed. And she said, I'm writing a love story in my head. And so I got quiet. And then I said, Well, tell me the story, Mildred. And she must have waited a few seconds. And then she said, eyes still closed. I'm writing a story about how much my husband loved me. Mm. And I was just silent. And I had tears rolling down my face. And we never said another word for 20 minutes. Really? I felt like we didn't have to. It was like our hearts were communicating. Mm-hmm. And it was a really sacred moment. But she revealed to me by those few words, by her tears, by her presence, 
how much she loved her husband and clearly how much he loved her. That taught me more than three or four books I must have read earlier that year (laughs) on how to have a healthy relationship. (laughs) It's like, dude, just hang around Mildred. (laughs) She's writing a novel on her head. (laughs) But those are the kind of blessings I've had over the years where I've had the joy of companioning all these beautiful people who are facing their own mortality or maybe some family members watching their loved one pass away. But always I have gotten more out of it than they probably ever did from anything I could offer. When I, you said you had a few examples, do you have, what's the other one like? Well, the other one was a guy named Sid. And he was at an assisted living, he and his wife. His wife was in a coma. She came on service. She was always in a coma. So I was never able to hear her verbalize. But we're very hip to the fact that even though she's unconscious, she can hear our voices, mm, right? Okay. And so, you know, when I would go in there, I would talk to her, read poetry to her, or, or those kind of things. And um, But Sid was her husband. They'd been together for years, maybe 58, 60 years. And I watched how he so attentive he was to her. Sometimes I would show up and Sid would be in there sitting beside her. And he had a hairbrush and he'd be brushing her hair, just talking about his day to her or talking about the kids to her. I mean, here's a man who knew intuitively that his wife could hear every word he ever said. I watched that repeatedly, how he would treat her. He was so tender with her. Then later, he and I would talk about their relationship. And again, they were fortunate enough to have a beautiful long dance together and had some great kids that they brought into the world, who are all adults now. But I remember one particular day, I was seeing several patients there. I peeked my head in to see how she was doing. She seemed comfortable and fine. I was getting ready to walk out the door. And Sid was walking down the hallway to the room. And he was, like, crying. And I looked back into the room and said, well, his wife's still alive. I said, Sid, what's up? And he said, oh, Richard. He said, I don't know what to do. My wife's dog, she loved her dog so much, and he just died today. And he said, I don't know how to break the news to her. Mm -hmm. Now, here she is in a coma, unconscious. But because that's his beloved on that bed, who he adores, he's still wanting to protect her. Mm -hmm. But he knows he needs to tell her. And that told me a lot. And so then I watched him go in. I sat in a chair by the door. I just kind of held space for him, praying for them, too. And in the most tender of ways, he told her. And then he had, he was kind of quietly weeping. And I I feel like she was too in her own way. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward, she ended up passing away. And I I got called on that. And I went out. Family was already there. Sid was there. Family was doing well. It was one of those, what we call good deaths in hospice. Because there was no regrets. Family loved each other. No issues and all that. But here's the thing, and I said this unconsciously to myself, when they were done and they were ready to leave and Sid was the last one to walk out, instead of just walking out and going about my day, I just plopped back into that chair. His wife was still there. We were waiting for the funeral home to come. And I was just stunned. And I said to myself, 
as they were walking out quietly, there goes a good man. I was talking about Sid, and then I said, and this sounds really corny, but I said it to myself, so I didn't think anyone was listening. <laughs> till now. I, till now. I said, I want to be a good man like that. So what I did is a week or so after the funeral, I called up Sid, and for quite a while, we would meet at this barbecue restaurant place for lunch mm-hmm. under the guise of bereavement, Right. But every time we got together, I was learning from Sid, he didn't realize this, what it took to have a healthy marriage because that's what I wanted, a healthy relationship. So once again, I got blessed far more than I could ever contribute. But I've also had a chance to witness people at their best. Yes, at their worst too sometimes. But also it taught me that now is a time for us to prepare for our death because we are all born to die. I like to say that death is the most democratic thing on the face of the earth. It will take both Democrats and Republicans, (laughs) even Libertarians. It's the one thing we all have in common. And yet sometimes it's the one thing we still don't like to talk about. True. But we will all be affected by it. Uh, One of my favorite words, the Buddhists use it a lot, and it's the word impermanence. Everything changes. Everything breaks. And by embracing that, you can live life more fully as well. And so those are just some of the the personal stories uh, that I've witnessed by that too. Well, I think it's interesting, like you said, you've learned to live from the death. Yeah. You saw this man being so caring to his wife where you could think, well, she's in a coma, nobody can hear me, so he moved on with his life. No, every day he came in and lived his life with her. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. then you took a, you took you took that from or wrong saying, but you you got that from them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always said that awareness of death helps us remove uh, triviality. We can get so caught up in so many silly things that aren't really that important. Right. The petty The petty, the petty. Um, I used to say that, and then I found out that I didn't come up with these. A lot of people did, but now people say Buddha did. Um, Three most powerful questions. Did I live well? Did Did I love well? Did I live fully? And did I learn to let go? Those are the three questions that people really want to ask the most. But when I looked back on all the hospice patients, and even when I was a pastor before I went into hospice and um, people would die from the congregation, I thought about a lot of those deaths. And I thought, you know, that's true. When a person knows they're about to die, I have never to this day heard in over 28, maybe 30 years of ministry, I've never heard anybody say, I wish they would have built a bigger home. I never heard anybody say, I wish they would have bought a faster car. But I've heard all of them, those who could speak, say in in some way close to those three questions. So quite a few years ago, I started using those three questions as kind of a check sheet every day for my life. Usually it's at night when I'm getting kind of ready for bed or laying in bed. I'll say, okay, Richard, today, um, did you love well? Today, did you live fully? And what did you learn about letting go? Just little playful things. Sometimes I don't take very long with it. Mm -hmm. But I found, you know, a person could really use those questions to guide their life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To always make sure, because sometimes we get so caught up in things that we forget what's most important in our life. 
Absolutely. Love is the most important thing, for example. So, and I found that reflecting on death is also an antidote for laziness. (laughs) Because just like Job said, we realize, oh, I don't have forever. And I got nothing to lose. I'm going to die anyway. So embrace it. So it, so there's a lot of things that it teaches us that tomorrow's an illusion. I mean, all we have is today. Mm-hmm. When I was studying spiritual warriors from all kinds of religions and such, I was, I was always fascinated by the samurai because they were so, they were so into honor. And uh, whether it be um, honor in, in China during the time when they were around, but they were the good guys of the day. Mm-hmm. And they had a code. But what I didn't know, why they were so fearless, and they were known to be fearless. People were fearful of the samurai when they would come on those horses and wear the outfits and the costumes that they had. That they were trained at a very early age that they were already dead. Really? They just embraced their own mortality so purely that they could step into that beautiful land of non-duality. I'm living, but I'm also dead and realize, well, I'm already dead. So when they would go into battle charging the enemy, they had no fear. And there was honor in that. And there was honor in that, but they had no fear because what would be the fear that you die? Well, you're already dead. And I chuckled when I read that. It was just a little short article. And that that was huge for me because it kind of fit in to what we're talking about here. Because I've learned as I've grown into this that as I start being more mindful of my own mortality, I start taking more chances. I also start being more present with everybody that I meet. Mm -hmm. And where before maybe I wasn't. So it, it really is a powerful exercise. And just for our listeners, again, go over those three steps. Or the, the, the three questions, yeah. And, and if you're listening right now, I'll speak slowly, but I encourage you to jot them down. Um, but the questions are, did I love well? Or you could say, am I loving well? Did I live fully? Or am I living fully? And the third question, because I think it's the most important at all, did I learn to let go? Or am I learning to let go? And I have a, a story about letting go. Um, I've had a couple of powerful experiences in my life. I don't have a lot of vision stories like a lot of spiritual teachers do. Um, but one happened on June 16th, the year 2000. And I wasn't doing hospice very long. And I was, it was a Friday morning. It was uh, raining that day, but a nice summer rain. It wasn't a torrential storm or anything. Mm-hmm. It must have been 9 a.m., so I got down there early. And I was leaving Franklin, heading up I-65 to come back to Indy. And at the time, I had an apartment. had just gone through divorce, but it, I wanted to stay close to where my kids were, so I moved like just a quarter of a mile away into an apartment. <laughs> um, so that was in Greenwood, but I was going to go back to, up to Indy. And so I got on the highway. Everything's fine, right? I'm just thinking about the appointment I just had. And all of a sudden, for the first time and only time to this day, my car hydroplaned. Oh, wow. I'd never experienced that before. I mean, it was doing three 360-degree circles on I-65 North. Now, all of this happened in a few seconds. But what happened was I lost control of the car. So I probably started to panic a bit. I was like trying to fight control. I'm sure I was gripping that wheel so tight trying to get control, but I couldn't. 
the car looked like it was getting ready to head into the grassy area in the middle of I-65 North, I-65 South. So I remember saying to myself, quickly, you're going to roll. And I remember thinking, thank God my seatbelt's on. I didn't. It was almost like I hit an invisible wall, like a pinball machine, and my car went back in to the middle of the two heading north lanes. And that's when I did the three circles, 360-degree circles. And each time my car faced south, I saw the semi-truck and three cars next to it all heading at me. I couldn't get control. But the third time, I said to myself, either audibly or in my head, this is it. I closed my eyes and I took my hand off the steering wheel. True story. Next thing I know, my car is off on the side of the road. At the same time, I'm hearing the whoosh and horn of the truck. He couldn't stop, but I'm hearing brakes squeal. The engine of my car is off. I'm facing north on the pavement, off the highway, but on the pavement. Um, the rain is hitting the roof of my car. I'm hyperventilating the first and only time I've ever hyperventilated. I couldn't get my breath. Good time I'm look, to do it, I I'm looking guess. in the rearview mirror, and two of the three cars were all pulled over. All our wipers are like this. I'm guessing they're hyperventilating, too. <laughs> I must have waited three minutes. It's amazing you remember detail in a moment like that. Pressed the button, had the window go down. I just kind of did one of those faint waves out the window like I'm okay. I decided I'm not going back into Indy. I'm going to go home. Right. So I drove off on that side of the road, didn't even get back on the highway. I didn't care. I drove 30 miles an hour because I was almost afraid to drive. Right. I got to that Greenwood exit. (laughs) The apartment I lived in at the time wasn't far from there. I went to my apartment. The rain is now coming down even harder. And I broke down and wept. I sat on the living room floor and I just wept. And then I got angry. It's amazing. I I got angry at God. I said, God, I should have died. You took me all that way. I took my hands off the steering wheel. I closed my eyes and you didn't take me. You mean I got to go through something like that down the road? I mean, it was just none of it was making sense. But and then I just stopped. I just stopped. And, and I was already reading some books that were talking about this subject that we're talking about. And I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. What am I to learn from this? So I'm still sitting down. And the first thing that popped in my head was, Richard, when you were a little boy in Springfield, Illinois, you used to love to walk in the rain. Do you realize you haven't walked in the rain since? Hmm. And so I got up. It was, it was summer. It was June 16th. It was warm, but it was raining hard. I had my same clothes on, and I decided to walk around the Valley Vista Country Club there. That's where the apartment was, close to that golf course there. And I walked for an hour in the rain, getting totally soaked. And I think this must have been before the movie, but there's that scene in Shawshank Redemption where he finally escapes and raises his arms out and tilts his head up. I did a Shawshank Redemption thing because (laughs) I wanted to feel the rain. It's like I have a feeling when I was a kid I did, but now I I have umbrellas and I don't really want to do that. And I want to feel the rain. (laughs) So I'll try to make this short. So when I got back, it was like adrenaline kicked in. I said, wow. What next? What next? <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, 
remember, you, you love chocolate chip cookies. You haven't had one in a while. And, and you love wildflowers. And I thought, wildflowers? Do guys buy themselves flowers? Well, there was a March grocery store at the time down, down the corner down there in Greenwood. So I dry it off, still had these wet clothes on, put a light coat on, drove down there, picked out a bouquet of flowers. I got one of those little bigger gourmet chocolate chip cookies. Oh, yeah. Put the flowers in a little, uh, um, didn't have a vase at the time, but a bowl or something, <laughs> and sat down again. And I poured a glass of wine, Merlot wine, and I had a cookie, and I thought I'd have this little sacred uh, communion with my <laughs> cookie and wine. <laughs> To, and then I remembered, and then I had that, and it was really quiet, and it was just beautiful, and tears were rolling down my face, and all this and that. And then I remembered, I just moved into this apartment, and a friend of mine, it's kind of a gag gift, but she knew I liked that kind of music, gave me as a housewarming gift a CD, The Best of Donna Summer. Okay. So I said, oh, yeah. So I went in, took a hot shower, stepped out naked, didn't put a stitch on because it's my apartment. There's right. no one else there. <laughs> I cranked on Donna Summer, working hard for the money. I was dancing all over that apartment naked, drinking my red wine, eating my chocolate chip cookie. And, and then finally, after all of that died down, I sat down again and I got quiet. And I had a bookshelf. At that time, I had tons and tons of books. One book, I swear to God, was illuminated. And I just unconsciously leaned over and pulled it off the shelf. And I did one of those where you just take your two thumbs and open it up. Mm -hmm. And I opened it up to this page. I'm going to read you right now. I have the original with me, but this is this is a copy because the original is worn and torn. June 16th, 2000. It happened to be a book from Wayne Muller called How Then Shall I Live? Four Questions to Reveal Beauty and Meaning in Our Lives. So four chapters is all the book has based on four questions. I just happened to pull the question on how shall I live knowing I will die. Really? Now here's the page okay. I pulled. And this I'll read this for your listeners. With so little time left, there is none to waste. Suddenly, childhood trauma seems less compelling. Money seems useful for daily needs, but greed seems silly. What can we really keep? Unproductive relationships are let go, and intricate career maneuvering seem wasteful, even comical. For those close to death, it becomes instantly clear that everything they do in their remaining days is precious. Every conversation... Every action, every choice is pregnant with meaning and value. Only those relationships that are fruitful and loving are kept. The rest are allowed to fall away. Every act is a sacrament. Every breath a gift. Nothing is taken for granted. Nothing wasted. What kind of life will we have? A human birth is a breathtaking gift. This singular life is a pearl of great price. How will we use this precious time? Sloppily careening from one day to the next, getting things done, checking off lists, buttressing our lives against trouble as best we can until we die weary and wondering whether we were ever awake, ever truly alive at all? Or shall we live not by accident, but on purpose, naming clearly and courageously those things we cherish, creating a life of beauty and love. Will we walk on the earth gently? 
Will we care for our children with understanding and wisdom? Will we seek out beauty and give thanks for it? Will we be generous with our talents for the good of all? Will we be patient and thoughtful with others? Will we be courageous in speaking what we know to be true? Will we be awake and alive? Will we leave a legacy of kindness? Knowing we will die, how shall we live? That's amazing. What was the book again? How Then Shall We Live by Wayne Muller. Wow. You can find it on Amazon. But, yeah, it it rocked my world. And every June 16th, I celebrate Life Day that day. Okay. I do it usually by myself. And it might be... No, not sometimes, <laughs> sometimes naked, um, but always try to find nature somewhere. Sometimes if I'm working, I'll take the day off or whatever. And I always have this little ritual that I do, but I always read this to myself as a reminder about how precious life is and never, ever take anything for granted. I, that is amazing. And I think everybody should at least get that page, Yeah, you know, cause that is an amazing, just powerful message yeah i know i mean and then know. you know and then you've seen people at their worst and that's one of the questions i wanted to ask if i could wrap around to that yeah. when you, you you said that you've seen people at their worst mm-hmm. what kind of life lessons did you get from that when you saw people at their worst how did that translate or transform into a good life lesson well, all right, I'm thinking about a VA patient we had at a smaller nursing home. This was early on in my hospice career, and we knew that he was an abuser of all his kids. He was an alcoholic. His kids were all adults now. They didn't want to have anything to do with him, but he was really declining pretty quickly. And so first of all, the life lesson there was because he was having regrets now, uh-huh. right? He wished he could have done his life over again. But here he is dying. He thought maybe he had another 15, 20 years. He didn't. He's totally regretting. I can't even imagine the things that he did, the kind of regret that he had, mm-hmm. how it literally was tearing his heart out. He knew his children would never see him again. And he had a grandbaby. His daughter had a baby. And she wouldn't bring the baby with him. And that way he just wanted to hold that baby in his arms. So one of the life lessons there was live to have no regrets. Don't ever have any regrets. In other words, um, learning to let go, for example. Um, Are we still holding on to he did, she did me wrong 10, 15, 20 years ago? Well, if we are, deal with it now. Let it go now. Ask for forgiveness now. Call him up now. Don't wait. Don't ever put anything off. If you're getting an intuitive hit or a nudge or whatever your listener wants to call it, do it now because you don't know what life is going to bring you the following day. Now, to, to get back to that story, here's what was really cool, and this is a testimony what I learned from the family side in terms of forgiveness. They knew their dad was dying. And they knew they had two choices. Choice number one, just don't see him. And I think everybody would have not been shocked by that. Yeah, you've gone through a lot. Choice number two, which was harder, and it's a choice they took, is try to forgive him. He is your dad. And just try to forgive him. Even if you'll never forget, because you won't, what happened, maybe you can forgive. I happen to be there, I'll say now by coincidence, but I think it was a God incident. And 
I was walking by his room and it was filled with people. So I stepped back a bit in the hallway, but I watched. And then I found out later what happened. His family got together and he had a birthday coming up, which he wasn't going to see because there was birthday balloons in there. They decided to come together and have a family party, but also to let him hold his grandson Mm -hmm. in his arms. And what I witnessed, because I didn't want to stare too long, was the family all gathered around. They were talking to one another. They were talking to him. But I saw him beaming like a little kid, holding that little kid in his arms. And that was a powerful, powerful story of, of regret, of forgiveness, and... Um, and basically how family got to move on. How they got to move on because they dealt with their stuff. They were wise enough to do that so they wouldn't have any regrets after their fathers died. I've been around with some families that wouldn't do that. And sure enough, um, after their mom or dad died, uh, they had stuff come out later. And then they regretted not being there at the bedside. So I always try to counsel people, live as if you have no regrets. If you have any regrets, write them down and start knocking them off. You know, people talk about their bucket list. We'll do that too. Walk light. The phrase I use is, I want to walk lightly on the earth now. Mm. I literally even open up my hands every time I say that phrase. I don't want to hold on to my steering wheel like I'm driving in Chicago, (laughs) which is what I do the times that I've driven in Chicago. and Or what I was trying to do, getting control of my car Mm -hmm. back on June 16th, 2000. I had to take my hands off and say, this is it. Total surrender. God spared me completely for still reasons I don't know why. But those are lessons we can learn now. So in other words, for your listeners, I would ask, what are you holding on to now? Are you holding on to a relationship that you need to let go to? Are you holding on to your reputation? You're caring way too much about what people think about you. Are you holding on to a wayward child that maybe you just need to let go and surrender to God? Because that kid is far off better in God's hands than yours right now. Mm. There's something we can all learn to let go of to surrender. And getting back to those questions again. Who do you love? And are you loving them well? And if not, let today be a reset for you. Where you can start again. Could be a friend, a family member, co-worker, whatever. And then I would ask... Are you really living fully? What did you want to do when you were a kid? Are you doing it now? Well, why not? You could. And if not as a career, at least as an avocation, as a hobby or some reason. Lots of life purpose coaches like me and so many others that can help you do that. So, but again, it's it's embracing our own mortality, though, that really wakes us up out of our slumber. We get... We almost fall asleep mm-hmm. in this life and in this world. We're just kind of like, we get up, we go to work, we go home, we watch TV, we go to bed. We get up, we go to work, we, we do the same routine over and over and over again. That is not living, folks. And so that's why one of the best things that I found as a wake-up call is to embrace your mortality in order to be able to to live more fully that way, too. So... Amazing, yeah, I gotta tell you. And you know, we're about out of time, but I oh. wanted to leave our listeners with those three questions again. Okay. If you if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. 
Question number one, did I love well? Am I loving well? Question number two, did I live fully? Am I living fully? And question number three, did I learn to let go? Am I learning to let go? Those are the three questions that can guide the rest of your days while you have on this earth. Amazing. As always, Richard, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. And I know you said that you have a life coaching uh, business, so if, uh, you can give everybody some information on that if you'd like. So well, they, they yeah. They can reach out to I, you. I've been a certified life purpose coach since 1997, um, and so I've always enjoyed helping people find their calling in life or maybe to find kind of the job they want. Um, I also do a lot of grief counseling, too. But anyway, the website, my outdated beloved website, <laughs> is richardbrendan.org. Uh, and you can catch me there, and you can connect uh, to me through that website as well. And that's, we podcast a lot of things on there, too. So uh, that's the best way to reach me. And we'll definitely have that link on our website yeah. as well. Yeah. But again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's I, a joy. Inspirational. Okay, bottom line, inspirational. I, I really appreciate it. I hope our listeners got a lot out of it, too, because I know I did. Yeah, God bless. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I always prefer it when Christy does the final thought, but since she's not here, I'm going to give it a stab. I can tell you as I sit here and listen to your story of Sid and his wife and your desire to spend time with him, to learn through his love and grief, and that's really resonated with me today. I've been sitting here taking in your wisdom as you sat and had coffee with Sid week after week. I completely understand you wanting to spend time and listen to him. So many of us want to be better today than yesterday. You know, I want to be a better man, a more loving husband, a trusted friend, someone you can always depend upon. I think spending time with people who are authentic and learn how to become more authentic ourselves is really where our best selves come from. Where we are better today than yesterday and more loving and kind than 10 years ago. So I want to thank you for helping me see that. Yeah. I want to learn from Sid and all those Sids in our lives. We just have to have a willingness to see them and be grateful for the lessons they need to teach us. And today was one for me, so thank you. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platforms like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.